welcome to Down to Sally's Cove, a collection of stories about Newfoundland and Labrador by the late Ella Manuel and read by me, Anthony Berger. I'm the editor of my mother's writings about the history and rich culture of the places and people she knew and loved. Many of these stories she read on local and national radio in the 1940s to 1970s. About the same time as James Lumsden arrived in Newfoundland, young Dr. Conrad Fitzgerald landed in Harbour Breton. His job here was to attend to people who worked along the southeast coast for a company of fish and wine merchants. As El Emanuel relates, there were few medical men as tough and indestructible and as self-effacing. For some 60 years, the people of Fortune Bay depended on English-born Dr. Conrad Fitzgerald for medical help. The youngest of four sons of a country doctor, he was, at five foot six inches, hardly a large man, but one whose tough character asserted itself early. While still in boarding school in England, he demanded by letter from a favorite relative, "'Dear Auntie, all the boys are receiving hampers. I will expect one soon.' Your affectionate niece, Conrad. Alas, none was forthcoming, not even for her nephew, an early lesson in the need for self-sufficiency. Well, having decided to follow in his father's footsteps, the young Conrad apprenticed himself to a local physician, and within two years he was off on calls alone. In 1873, after several stints as a ship's doctor on a full rigger, on the London to Melbourne run, he arrived in Harbour Breton. Here he was hired initially for three years by Newman Hunt and Company, the prosperous West Country merchants who sent wines to mature in Newfoundland and brought back to England salt fish. The work so appealed to him that he remained here for the rest of his life. During the 28 years he was employed by Newman's, each family would pay a medical fee of $4 worth of fish to the company, which would in turn pay the doctor in cash. When later he moved to St. Jack's, after the company failed, Dr. Fitzgerald charged each family one English pound a year and supplemented his income by trapping foxes and selling their pelts. Whatever his financial situation, he rarely charged his patients for medicines. Now, his practice covered such a large coastline with settlements so widely scattered that he was continually on the move. His constant companion was the Albatross, a 30-foot sailboat built for him in 1875 by John Cluett of Billorum for the grand sum of 50 pounds sterling. It had two masts and a jib arranged so that one man after the main mast could control the tiller the main sheet, the foremast, and the jib. The albatross became as familiar to Fortune Bay as the doctor himself. Whenever she hove in sight, men would swarm off in dories to help him anchor, and on shore men and women and children would greet him with all manner of aches and pains. The cabin would sometimes become, as he said, uh, filled with stout women, all talking at once of ailments many and various. For forty years he sailed her alone, or so it seems. 
but I know a woman who swears she more than once saw the albatross bowling along while Conrad swam alongside, calling it out at intervals to his dog on board. Hey, throw the tiller away from you. Uh, now haul it back. And the dog would port and starboard the helm with precision and alacrity. Conrad was a tough man who went swimming in November, sailed vessels in mighty storms, and walked alone a hundred miles in midwinter. One time, sailing on a sick call, alone as usual, the doctor ran into a storm. The ship yawed, and when the boom swung, it landed a vicious blow on the back of his head. When he regained consciousness, he staggered round to fasten the boom and to get the boat into harbor. Here he managed to tie her to a tree stump, but in twisting around he heard a crack and realized he'd broken a rib. Slowly and cautiously he crawled back to the dory, rowed back to his boat where he strapped himself in plaster and bandages as best he could, and then he sailed home for another forty miles. Another time, after three days watching over a sick man, Conrad walked twenty-two miles through slush and snow, cut the albatross out of the ice, and stood watch for the nine hours it took him to sail home. With barely enough time to swallow a cup of tea, he rushed to check on a woman ill with pneumonia, and that required a four-mile row, walking across a neck of land, climbing into another punt, rowing another three miles before he could reach his patient. And when he was an old, old man, he would drag his bag behind him on a sled made of barrel staves, walking uphill and down on snowshoes. Cancer of the lip was then fairly common, and many a growth had to be excised. One fisherman refused the anesthetic, which was then cocaine, and even held his own lip for the surgery. And when a second incision was needed, the patient exclaimed, Hey, take another rasher off, sir. Take another rasher off. At Fox Cove, Dr. Fitz had to remove a large tumor from the back of an old fisherman, also without anesthetics. The old man made no sound as the doctor made long incisions until after the operation was over. And then he looked out the window and his only comment was, I rather think we're going to have the wind out in our east tonight. Dr. Fitz was likewise a man of few words. On the night of his wedding to Catherine Partridge, his diary entry read simply, A wind from the southwest, married. When asked to write his memoirs, he always replied, Oh, that's not at all in my line. And so what we know now of his life comes from a biography published by his grandson, which is now a rare find. After attending a patient in Wreck Cove, Dr. Fitz was invited by a young woman who'd just been married to attend a celebratory time that night. His diary recorded, In the house where the wedding party was being held, a number of buxom maidens and tall, awkward youths danced to the strains of a long Tom's fiddle. The dance consisted of much swinging at a tremendous pace, preceded by stamping and various movements of the body. The bridegroom contented himself with drinking glass after glass of rum until he was completely intoxicated. And then, as the guests sat down to a meal of fish and potatoes, the bride disappeared to her chamber. 
the loft of the house, and shortly afterwards her more or less musical voice surprised the doctor by announcing, I'm all in order, Skipper Jarge. But by this time Skipper Jarge, the bridegroom, drunk as the Lord, was sleeping it off. And though Fitzgerald himself neither smoked nor drank spirits, a small glass of wine was acceptable now and then. He was well aware of the common practice of smuggling liquor from Saint-Pierre, but voted against prohibition because he thought it a very unwise and unworkable policy. Now conditions were terrible during the diphtheria epidemic of 1888, which lasted several months. One of the saddest cases was that of a little girl in a tiny cove whose mother and two sisters had already fallen victim to the plague. She lay on a couch in a filthy shack nursed by her father, who was terrified that he would also catch the disease. Dr. Fitz found the child blue in the face and gasping for breath. He performed a tracheotomy and inserted a tube, giving the child immediate and complete relief. He told her father to be sure to clean the tube every day, but he was so scared to do it that the tube became blocked, and the little girl died of suffocation. Once he quarantined a whole community for three months when smallpox broke out there, and he nursed his own family through the diphtheria when there was such panic that you could hardly get anyone to bury the dead. And when the epidemic was nearly under control, he had to sail off for Jacques Fontaine, where a man had blown his hand off with a gun. So for decades, Dr. Fitz attended the sick, at the risk of his life, beating up and down the treacherous, cruel, rocky coast alone in the albatross, or battling blizzards as he snowshoed across a desolate land to reach some isolated spot where people were in pain. According to his grandson, Dr. Fitz was glad to spend his time among men and women who, through no fault of their own, had been forced to obtain a livelihood in settlements where medical aid was unknown. When he was 77, and the Newfoundland Medical Association called him a hero, Dr. Fitz said he felt an utter fraud, for he'd only done what any man would do who liked boat work. After an agonizing bout of septic poisoning, his diary recorded that, I should have died according to the rules, not that I fear death a bit. That I look upon as simply a part of the game. It's the trouble one gives other people and at eighty-six he was still helping a younger daughter with cases around the bay, remarking that uh, one of my legs is eighty-six, but the rest of me is fifty. Conrad Fitzgerald was indeed a fine man who came for three years and stayed a long lifetime in Newfoundland. That was me, Anthony Berger, reading a story by the late Ella Manuel, from the podcast series Down to Sally's Cove. This was recorded in the studios of VOBB, the voice of Bombay, community radio in the heart of Grossmore National Park in western Newfoundland. Recording engineer and sound editor was Gary Wilton. Background music from Coffee in the Cove, written and played by David Berger. Together with a biography of my mother, these and other stories are available in book form entitled No Place for a Woman, The Life and Newfoundland Stories of El Emanuel, published in 2020 by Breakwater Books, St. John's, Newfoundland and Labrador. 
Thanks for listening. In this last episode of Season 4, Ella remembers Hugh McDermott, a Congregational missionary who traveled Fortune Bay in the early 20th century. 